Uh, so we're looking at John chapter 8 this week, and we'll be starting at verse 12 and going to uh, verse 38. It says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself, since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and never have been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father. And you do not... And you do what you have heard from your father. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says this, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. I think one of the greatest lessons that we've learned over the last several months and maybe even over the last few years is that there's a lot of things that maybe we thought that we knew that we don't know. The majority of Americans don't trust institutions anymore. The majority of Americans don't trust uh, nonprofits, churches, government, or the media. For the first time in, in, in American history, uh, Amer less than half of all Americans have trust in traditional media. According to da data from Edelman's annual trust barometer, trust in social media has hit an all-time low of 27%. 56% of Americans agree with the statement that journalists and reporters are purposely trying to mislead people by saying things that they know are false or gross exaggerations. 58% think that most news organizations are more concerned with supporting an ideology or political position than with informing the public. A Gallup poll conducted in September of last year showed that 86% of Americans considered the media to be biased. 
We no longer have any trusted voices of authority. We no longer have any confident sources of truth. If we're liberal, we see the world through CNN and CNBC. If we're conservative, we see the world through Fox News and Newsmax. And some of, somehow in the, in the process, I think the facts are often lost in interpretation. And I don't mean to be cynical, but for the average person, there's so many things in this world that are, in a sense, unknowable. That we have to rely on the people who tell us certain things. We don't experience certain things, and we rely on people to tell us what the truth is. And oftentimes, we can't really know fully what the truth is. A recent cover story for The Economist, which is an international magazine, was entitled, Yes, I'd Lie to You, The Post-Truth World. The article analyzed the dishonesty that's wreaking havoc in politics, journalism, social media, and other areas of life. One expert quoted in the article said, Right now it pays to be outrageous but not to be truthful. The article also highlighted one of the most effective ways to tell lies by hiding the truth in a glut of information. Zainab Zuvecki of the University of North Carolina said this, Information glut is the new censorship. She notes that other countries, Chinese authorities, for example, don't try to censor everything that they don't like, but often flood the networks with distracting information. Similarly, in, in Turkey, where Tuveki is from, a number of posts and tweets are, are dubious in nature, and, and Tuveki herself says, even I can no longer really tell what's happening in parts of Turkey. So much that we don't know. And it's not just in the political realm. It's in the realm of science. You know, you remember back when the pandemic first started and we heard stories about how uh, COVID could live 28 days on surfaces and maybe we went to the grocery store and then we got back and we wiped down all of our, our produce and everything with Clorox wipes. And then I read an article recently that basically said it might not even be worth doing at all, like all this sanitizing and stuff because it's spread by person-to-person -person contact. You know, and we thought that we knew something back then, and we realized we don't know exact, we don't know as much as we thought we did. But it gets even more basic than that. You know, it gets to down to like nutrition. You would think things that we'd been we have been eating for thousands of years, we would think we would know a little bit about them. For example, is an egg a healthy thing to eat? For centuries, people ate eggs, and it was often taught that eggs were very healthy. They had nutritional value, they had uh, nutrients, vitamins, all of these things in a, in a very compact form. And for generations, people grew up eating eggs, saying these are really healthy foods. And then you got to the 70s and 80s, and there was this kind of low-fat craze, and, and people said, well, there's a lot of cholesterol in eggs, so eggs aren't healthy. You shouldn't eat eggs. And then we got to the later 90s and the 2000s, and then it kind of turned the other way, and, and there was all these studies that were done that said, well, even if you eat eggs, it doesn't raise your cholesterol. It doesn't add to the cholesterol. Most of the cholesterol is caused by genetics, and so it is healthy to eat eggs. Then a couple years ago, 2019, another study came out that said that eating eggs can increase your risk of cardiovascular disease. So are eggs healthy? Nobody really knows. I mean, and it's something so basic, so common that all of us eat eggs or most of us eat eggs from time to time. And we don't know, the, the experts don't know if they're really very healthy or not.
They may be, they may not be. And that's just something so simple and so basic to who we are, uh, a basic part of life. There's just so much in our world that we don't know. And often the fact that we don't know so much, it can feel kind of disconcerting and alarming. It can feel like maybe we're in a darkness like almost like we can't see what's ahead of us. We're trying to make decisions about what's right for us and our families, but we don't have all of the facts. We don't know the truth. But the good news is, while there's a lot of things that we would like to know, a lot of things that we're curious about that would be helpful to know, there's only a few things that we need to know. And I think as a believer, if we focus intently on the truth, our darkness starts to disappear, and there starts to be some clarity. Uh, author in Soviet Union prison camp survivor Alexander Solzhenitsyn was uh, giving a, a commencement address to 1978 graduating class of Harvard University, and he said this, Harvard's motto is veritas, which is Latin for truth. He says, many of you have already found out, and others will find out in the course of their lives, that truth eludes us if we do not concentrate it on it with total attention on its pursuit. And even while it eludes us, the illusion still lingers of knowing it and leading to many misunderstandings. So he says, if we want to know the truth, we have to focus intently on the truth. And the passage that we're looking at today, Jesus is talking to the Jews, probably the Pharisees, as well as his disciples. At the beginning of the passage, Jesus makes this great statement and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. After he says this, he gets into a discussion with Jewish people about uh, the fact that he witnesses to himself. And they're like, if, if you're witnessing to yourself, then your witness is not valid. And he goes into a whole discussion about that. We're not going to get into that whole argument today. But he goes and he talks about how he has to go away. He talks about his close relationship with the Father. Then we get to verse 30 and it says that many of these Jewish people believed in Jesus. Now, when it says they believed in Jesus, it's not talking about necessarily saving faith. Have you ever gone to the mall or to Sam's Club or, or someplace and somebody comes up to you and they're trying to sell you insurance or a credit, get you to sign up for a credit card offer uh, or any number of things? And, you know, they come up to, to people and some people are like, oh, not interested and walk away and that's it. Then some people, they, they, they're approached and they're like, okay, let, let me hear some more. And, and so the salesman gives his or her you know, spiel and, and, and then gets to the end and then the person ultimately decides, all right, thanks, not interested, walks away. Then you have some people who you know, listen to the whole spiel, yeah, I would like to hear more, and then they get to the end and decide they want to sign up. I think what's happening in this passage is these Jewish people are like, yeah, I want to hear more. I want to hear more about what Jesus has to say. It doesn't mean that they're committing, that they're signing up to follow him, but they have some uh, interest in what he's saying, and they want to hear more. As we'll see later, we find out that most of these people don't actually truly believe in him in a saving sense. Jesus goes on to say that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. This was the mark of the disciple, and the mark of the disciple was following the words of the master. According to an ancient rabbinic writing, the perfect disciple had fully absorbed his master's teaching and was drawing on it to spread it abroad. 
the picture that Jesus paints would have been pretty straightforward. If a rabbi approached you, and, or you approached a rabbi, that's usually how it worked, you approached a rabbi and said, can I follow you, rabbi? Of course, if you're a student, you're going to want to abide by the words of the master. You want to listen to what the master says. And so this is pretty straightforward to the people who listen. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then he goes further. Jesus tells them that kind of a byproduct of abiding in his word is that they will know the truth and the truth will set them free. If they abide in Christ's word, they'll know the truth and the truth will set them free. I think for a long time in our country, in the United States, as Christians, our world has kind of made sense to us. Our, our culture was kind of built upon a Judeo-Christian ethic, and while Christianity was never, you know, like a state religion, Christianity had a place of prominence, and in, in, in the United States was built upon Christian principles. And, and that's no longer the case. But in ages past, I think that we could kind of look at things outside of the church and outside of God's Word, and, and they kind of made sense to us. They kind of had this ring of truth to, to us. But I don't think that's true anymore. We can no longer look outside to determine what is true. We need to look inside to where we're always meant to look to it uh, to find truth, and that is in God's Word. We can't look for truth out there. We must look for truth in God's Word. Karl Marx, in a letter to his friend Max Rugg, said this, when all the political foundations of religion are wiped out, when the organization and the institutional structure of the church are destroyed, then normally religious faith, the Christian faith, would have to disappear. But it is not out of the question that the Christian faith will survive anyhow. This would mean that there is a religious reality that does not depend solely on the sociological and the institutional. And under these conditions, we would have to heed this reality, which is not in the category of traditional religion. So essentially what Marx is saying is that there may be, and we know as Christians, that there is a world that exists no matter what's happening in the world, no matter if Christianity has a place of prominence or not, there is a reality that exists beneath the surface, and that truth is discerned in God's Word. Beyond what happens on social media or uh, what our government decrees, there is a, a reality that exists that is more real and more true that's explained in God's Word than what's happening in the world around us, what our eyes see. And through a relationship with Christ, by holding fast to His Word, we can know the truth, and the truth can set us free. See, I believe that freedom begins by embracing the truth. Freedom begins by embracing the truth. What do I mean by that? I mean believing and dwelling in God's word can bring us to an encounter with truth and that encounter with truth can be freeing. So when we look at God's word, we look not to what our eyes see, but to what we know to be true in God's word. Not, not to the truth of this world, but to the truth of God's word. And how can that be freeing? Well, maybe with our eyes we see the corruption in our government. 
We see the way that things are, are, are driven to corruption, and yet God's word says that Jesus is on the throne, that he's in charge of history, that there's nothing that happens that's outside of his, pur- his purview. Our eyes tell us that we should be concerned about our future. Maybe our economic future is uncertain. We're unsure if we're going to lose our jobs. We're unsure if we're going to be able to provide for our families. That's the truth that our eyes see, but we look at God's word and we see that God cares even for the lowly sparrow, and he's going to care for us. Our eyes may tell us that we can't make a difference, that our efforts are futile, that in worlds of billions of people, we can never make a difference, and yet God's word tells us that God has prepared good works for us to walk in. Our eyes may tell us that we're sinners, we're broken, and that's true. But God's word tells us that's not the end of the story. God's word tells us for those who are believers, we've been given the gift of Christ's righteousness. So God no longer sees us because of our, based on our sin, but he sees us based upon the perfect work of Christ. Our eyes maybe tell us that our bodies are failing, our world is decaying. But we look at God's word, we look and realize the fact that God is making all things new. That we can't even imagine what God has in store for those who love him. When we encounter truth, it can be freeing because we realize that there's a reality, that there's things that are happening beneath the surface apart from what's happening out in the world. It's kind of like, I think that's kind of the point of C.S. Lewis's uh, series of books, The Chronicles of Narnia. Chronicles of Narnia were set in the 1940s in uh, height of World War II, and uh, the Pevensey children lived in London, and uh, London was under constant bombing during that time, and the Pevenseys were sent by their parents to the countryside to live with this old professor. And so they go to this old professor's house, and then they uh, find this wardrobe, and then they enter into this wardrobe, and they discover that there's this world that exists beneath the surface. Despite everything that's happening in the world, there, there's a secret reality below the surface. And I think the same thing is true when we look at God's Word. It's kind of like that wardrobe. We see that there's a reality that exists beyond what our eyes tell us. When we watch a movie, when we watch a TV show or maybe even a sporting event, I think a lot of times we do that to kind of escape from reality. And that's not a bad thing. We just, we watch these things and, you know, it just allows us to kind of take our minds off of our own problems. And we get to kind of enter into the story of the characters and kind of think about uh, what's happening to the characters, maybe even uh, dream about what could happen in our own lives. And so it's an escape to reality, but when we look at God's Word, it's similar but opposite. When we enter into God's Word, when we abide in Christ's Word, it's an escape to reality. We look not to what our eyes see that's happening in this world, but we look to what we know to be true. Freedom, again, begins by embracing the truth. Now, the Jews' response is kind of remarkable. In verse 33, they say, we are offspring of Abraham have never been enslaved to anyone. Jesus' statement is offensive to these Jewish people because if, if Jesus is saying that they can be free, it implies that they are enslaved. They're like, we've never been enslaved. Jewish people considered themselves sons of the kingdom. Some of them considered themselves even king's sons. He says, we're children of Abraham. How dare you say that we need to be free? 
We're children of the promise. We're the children of, uh, of the one who was chosen by God. And yet Jesus suggests that they're enslaved. The scary part of the story is that they were enslaved and they didn't even know it. They were enslaved and they were willing to fight tooth and nail to prove that they weren't enslaved. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, a German poet and dramatist, once said this, None are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. Jesus goes on to explain what he's talking about when he's talking about a slavery. In verse 34, it's, he says, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. See, our eyes can tell us that we're enslaved when we're really free. That's kind of what we've been talking about so far. Our eyes can tell you that kind of uh, the social, political climate, that we're kind of in the hands of fate, that whatever happens to us is determined by outside forces. And, and we can kind of convince ourselves that we're enslaved in that way. And we look at God's word and realize that God is in control no matter what happens, that we are free in Christ. But the opposite can also be true. Our eyes can tell us that we're free when really we're enslaved. That's what happens in this passage. In these Jewish people's mindsets, from their fleshly point of view, they were not enslaved. They were children of Abraham. And what are they doing? Jesus says they're listening to the voice of their father, the devil. They're trying to kill the, the one son of God. They claim to be free, and yet they're contemplating killing God's Messiah. See, when we abide in God's word, there will be times when God reveals to us that we're enslaved. Sometimes things will be going really well in our life. Maybe uh, we are doing well economically, financially stable. Maybe we have good relationships. Maybe we're healthy and we think to ourselves, I'm, I'm in control. I've got it all together. And as we look at God's word, maybe God will reveal to us that there's things that have kind of taken hold of our hearts. There's things that have gripped us. We, our eyes tell us we're free, everything's going well, but we look at God's word and we realize that we're enslaved. We get to a place where we serve sin rather than Christ. Back to the Chronicles of Narnia, the lion witch in the wardrobe. Uh, Edmund Pevensey is captured by the white witch. And the white witch is trying to get information about, out of him. And so she's, you know, kind of being really nice to him at first and offers him this warm drink and his favorite candy, Turkish Delight. And as he starts to eat that Turkish Delight, his sense of duty and his love for his family is overtaken by his desire for that food. C.S. Lewis says, Each piece was sweet and light to the very center, and Edmund had never tasted anything more delicious. He says, at first Edmund tried to remember that it's rude to speak with one's mouth full. But soon he forgot about this and thought only of trying to shovel down as much Turkish delight as he could. And the more he ate, the more he wanted to eat. And he never asked himself why the queen should be so inquisitive. And so in the process, he told the queen the location of his family members, really turned them in because of his desire to feed his fleshly appetites led to severe consequences. Eventually he would be saved, but it would be cost Aslan, the Christ figure, uh, his very life. I think the first step in freedom is realizing that we're enslaved. Sometimes we come to God's word and God reveals those things to us. Nobody wants to hear that 
they're enslaved. These Jewish people, they didn't want to hear that. They wanted to think of themselves as children of Abraham, children of freedom. And yet Jesus reveals that their hearts are full of sin. I think sometimes Jesus reveals those things to us. He reveals that there's things that have kind of taken hold of our hearts, that have gripped our hearts, that take the place of Christ. They can be good things. They can be bad things. But anything that takes the place of Christ, where we're obeying the voice of that thing or person rather than Christ, becomes an idol and leads us to slavery. Maybe it's the voice of comfort. We don't do what God calls us to do because we'd rather be comfortable. Maybe it's the voice of greed. Maybe it's the voice of sex. Maybe it's the voice of despair that tells us we should give up. Maybe it's the voice of another person. Maybe it's the voice of an addiction. When we dwell in God's word, he reveals those things to us and he offers us freedom. We can know the truth and the truth can set us free and we can experience life as it was meant to be lived. A few years ago, uh, Britain's College of uh, Optometrists came out with uh, the most hilarious ways that people discovered that they had poor eyesight. One student realized he had poor eyesight when he was going to his exam and he read the sign incorrectly and he went to the wrong exam and ended up missing his, the exam he was supposed to take. One pilot taxied the jumbo jet that he was driving in the wrong direction on the airport runway. One woman went into a bar and started talking to this person and just talking about all different sorts of things. And then she realized through the conversation after a while that it wasn't her boyfriend that she was talking to. It was just some random person. There's a story of one woman who went into the op uh, optician and she took her shoes off. They're like, why are you taking your shoes off? And apparently she thought that it was the foot doctor because the foot doctor was next door. Ironically learned that in the optician that she had uh, poor eyesight. And then my favorite was uh, one man confused his hearing aids for cashews and ate them. Later needed to uh, have uh, surgery to remove them from his stomach. I can't imagine what it would be like to have eyesight that poor. Maybe some of us, you know, have eyesight that poor, uh, but we, you know, wear glasses or contact lenses, and then we're able to see, you know, what we need to see. But what would it be like to be completely blind? What would it be like to not be able to see anything? I can't imagine what it would be like. I mean, you think about just the simple things, simple everyday tasks, like, you know, just taking some Advil. You know, you go to your cupboard, it's like, how do you know which is the right pill? You know, or you're using the microwave, and how do you know you're pressing the right buttons? Or just walking down the street, how, how do you know that you're not in traffic? Can't imagine what that would be like. But a few years ago, uh, there was a man from Denmark, and he was a man who was visually impaired, and he came out with this app, and it was called uh, Be My Eyes. And it was a very unique concept. What would happen is people would sign up to be volunteers, and, and then people who were blind or severely visually impaired uh, could turn on the app, and then the, uh, the person on the other end could see uh, through their camera, and then the blind person could ask questions about, about things. So, for example, they could go to their fridge, you know, put it on a, uh, a carton of milk, and say, is the, is the date still good, or is it expired? 
And I think that's kind of a picture of what life is like in our world. I think with our eyes, we can only see dimly or not at all what the truth is, what is happening in our world. But when we look at God's Word and we abide in God's Word, it's kind of like that app. It shows us what's true, shows us what's real, shows us what we can rely on. I think some of us maybe today, we need to abide in God's Word and we need to look at things through the eyes of faith. Maybe we need to realize that we're not enslaved to the things that happen in this world, that God has a plan, that God cares about us. God will be with us every step of the way, and we need to run to his word and be reminded of that truth no matter what is happening in the world. Others of us, maybe we need to, be, maybe we need, we need to run to God's word, and we need to realize that though our eyes tell us we're free, God's word tells us we're enslaved, and there's something or someone who's taken the place of God in our lives, and we need to repent and turn to God. And when we do that, we find freedom. Because Jesus' heart is that we would be free. He wants us to be free from fear, free from addiction, free to follow him with all of our hearts. And when we abide in God's word, holding on each word, just like a follower of a rabbi would do, abiding in the word of God, we can be free. I'd like to close with a quote from Pastor Alistair Begg. He once said this, When we become captive to the Word of God, then we discover true freedom. Freedom begins with God's Word. Freedom begins abiding in, knowing, cherishing the Word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you came to the earth to die for our freedom so that we could experience life. So that we wouldn't be sentenced to the grave, so that we wouldn't be sentenced to hell, that we could have a life of significance and meaning. Lord, in the times that we live in, help us to trust in you. Trust that there is a reality that's outlined in your word. That there is truth in your word, that we can rely on, that is a foundation for us, no matter what happens around us. Help us to turn to you. Help us to please reveal to us any idols that have come into our life, any places of slavery where we need to turn over to you and repent. Pray that we'd be people of freedom. We'd be free from addiction, free from fear, free from anxiety and free to follow you and love you and love those around us with all of our hearts. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.